When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Your Village podcast, Parenting Beyond Discipline, the place to learn about all things parenting and get your questions answered. I'm your host, Erin Royer. So I apologize for missing getting this episode out last week. I was so busy working on my next class, Your Developing Toddler, that the week just got away from me. I'll share some great information about toddler development next week, but this week I'm going to answer a couple of great questions. One about preschool homework and another one about a preschooler who generally doesn't want to join other kids in play. But first, I'm going to cover a topic that also came in as a question from a listener for Khan in the UK. One that I think is crucial to understand for anyone seeking advice and tips in the arena of parenting and child development, and that is research. Why is it important that the advice be based in not just research, but the latest research. What makes research valid or not? What do I look for to validate the research I share with my audience? It's probably obvious that part of the importance of using any parenting material based on research is that otherwise it's just someone's opinion. It may in fact be very helpful. It may work. But I've seen a lot of bad advice too. Advice that can be harmful. Worst Case Scenario is a book that came out several years ago, where so far three children have died from parents following the advice in the book. The book advocates for severe corporal punishment, as well as starvation as means for getting compliance from children. Now, you probably don't think too highly of those parents, nor of the advice in the book. But I've seen a lot of other advice, not nearly so harmful or egregious, but still based on opinion about what works rather than based in sound science. If you've taken any of my discipline classes online or listen to any of the podcast episodes on discipline, you know that I admit that some methods do work in the short term, but cause damage in the long term to both the child's self-esteem and the parent-child relationship. And this is why it's so important to be discerning. So I want to caution parents and caregivers about accepting advice simply based on what works and to learn how to have a discerning eye for evaluating the source. Just because the author or speaker has an MD behind their name or a doctor in front does not automatically make them an expert in the topic that they are speaking about that day. They may actually very well be an expert in the area and really know their content inside and out. And if so, by all means, learn what you can. But I find it funny when someone is speaking in a particular area, such as nutrition, and they're a doctor so-and-so, and yet 
It turns out they have a doctorate in engineering. One has nothing to do with the other. He may be smart and earned a high degree, but it does not automatically make this person an expert in everything. So what is research exactly? How does it work? And what do I look for to make sure it's valid and worth sharing with my audience? So first I'm going to give some quick background information. Science is an essential element for human advancement. It contributes to the way we view the world. Well done research and science uses established research methods and standard protocols to test their theories and hypotheses thoroughly. Scientific research allows us to test these hypotheses and lay solid foundations for future research and study. The ultimate aim of research is to generate measurable data, and then this gradually adds to the accumulation of human knowledge. So I know this is a lot, and this is a big mouthful, so what does this really mean, and why is it important when it comes to parenting? What this means is that a scientist will have a question about child development. Maybe it's about why children have tantrums or the best age to potty train. They form a hypothesis, an idea. They think children may have more tantrums when a caregiver is stressed. Then that scientist has to figure out a way to measure the te- and test their hypothesis. This means they have to figure out what is stress and how do we measure it in an objective way. What constitutes a tantrum and how do we measure that? It all has to be very objective. So a tantrum might be something like 30 seconds or more of yelling and screaming that is inconsolable by the caregiver when they are offering hugs and soothing words. Without going into crazy details, obviously the experiments have to be well designed and controlled or the data becomes invalid. We also want a solid sample size. An experiment with three people is not a valid experiment. The larger the sample size, the better. A hundred, a thousand, or more. And repeated studies set up exactly the same are even better. We also want a control group whenever we can. A group of caregivers with toddlers who are experiencing low stress, and then a group of parents with toddlers who are experiencing high stress. So we have results to compare. Are the toddlers of parents with low stress having a statistically significantly less amount of tantrums than the toddlers of parents with high stress? That was a mouthful. (laughs) That was hard to say. So we want to compare these results. If a well-designed and well-run experiment is run several times and the results come out to be statistically the same, then that gives the research even more clout. So let's go back to sample size. This is why an opinion is not scientific evidence or fact, or necessarily a behavior we want to emulate, because it's a sample size of one or two. So there's a well-known doctor who has a lot of parenting books out there, and while I do like a lot of his advice, there's one area I do not, one area where he's really missed the boat. When a reporter tried to ask him about the information he shares versus what science has shown, His representative told her that his information is based on raising his own eight children. Okay, so that's a sample size of eight. With children, all from the same parents and no control group, versus the well-designed scientific studies. But of course, he would not talk with the reporter himself, so she couldn't ask him about this. These are the types of things that we need to be aware of. Just because he's a doctor and he's got eight kids that he's used these methods on doesn't necessarily mean that science fully supports what he's teaching. 
Now, the other very interesting thing about research, which I already alluded to earlier, is that it's like a living, breathing thing. It's always changing and evolving because scientists will take the current research and expand on it, probe more deeply, asking deeper questions and exploring the answers to those. We as a society benefit from this research. We get to learn and are still learning what motivates people. How do children learn best? How do we teach our kids to be more resilient? What builds resilience? How do we treat disease? How do we prevent disease? I love research. I think it's just fascinating. So one last thing about research, and then I'll get to answering the questions. When I was in grad school, in addition to learning about well-designed and carried out research, data analysis, one of the lessons I distinctly remember my professor teaching was to make note of who paid for the study. Many times, companies will hire scientists to prove the validity of their product. Pharmaceutical companies do this a lot, but also children's products that claim to increase learning, such as educational toys or games. So the question posed to our graduate class is what happens when a scientist is hired by a company to prove a product is safe or effective? Is that scientist going to be able to be completely unbiased in setting up the experiment and or gathering data? Or is that scientist going to feel some even small pull or inkling to make the product look good? We're all human, and I can't imagine any human alive, scientist or not, who wouldn't want to deliver pleasing results to those who paid for the study. So while this didn't used to be the case, the law is now that studies have to disclose who paid for the study. But most consumers don't know that when a company claims on their marketing that their product is 90% effective in solving some problem or is safe for infants to ingest, that the research that found that out was most likely paid for by that very company who's selling it. Now, here's a great example of how companies can twist research to fit their own needs. Baby Einstein claimed that their DVDs were educational for babies and toddlers, Well, what research actually shows is that while kids over two can learn from a screen, although they still learn better from face-to-face interaction, that so far research shows that babies and toddlers under two years of age do not learn anything from watching a screen. They seem to be unable to process the information and apply it to real life. So Disney, the company who bought this baby Einstein company, did have to remove those claims from their packaging. They did offer a full refund to anyone who had bought the product under the false pretenses. However, even after that, research showed that a vast majority of parents still believed the products were educational for their children under two. Because who's going to pay to unmarket to these parents? So these are just some things to think about and be aware of. These later years of childhood have been flying by. As a mom, I want to not just be available to my kids during these last years they have at home, but I want to feel good and have the energy I need to keep up with their schedule and my own. So my health is a top priority. Equilibria is a woman-owned wellness brand with unique science-backed products that help bring your mind and body back into harmony. You're not alone on your wellness journey. Every customer gets one-on-one support to help you meet your goals. EQ's Daily Women's Microbiome Defense is a 3-in-1 capsule that supports your digestive health and promotes gut barrier protection. A healthy gut positively impacts immunity, mental health, sleep, digestion, and skin health. It helps regulate digestion, immunity against bad bacteria, and improve nutrient absorption. 
The gut has been called the second brain because it contains more than 100 million nerve cells. It is a vitally important piece to our overall health, both physical and mental. So to make sure my gut is working at its potential, I started taking EQ's Daily Women's Microbiome Defense to improve my digestion and nutrition absorption, boost my overall immune health, and help with sleep and stress as a bonus. Head to myeq.com and use code PARENTING for 15% off Equilibria's Microbiome Defense and much more. That's myeq.com and use code PARENTING at checkout for 15% off site-wide today. This episode is sponsored by ByHeart. ByHeart is an infant nutrition company whose mission is simple, make the best formula in the world. Using the latest in breast milk science, ByHeart created a clinically proven, easy-to-digest infant formula that's made with organic, grass-fed whole milk, certified clean ingredients, and features a patented protein blend that gets closest to breast milk. Our blend includes the most abundant protein found in breast milk, alpha-lac, as well as lactoferrin, the number one protein found in colostrum, along with broken down, partially hydrolyzed proteins. ByHeart is an easy-to-digest formula. In addition to its patented protein blend, our formula includes prebiotics and an 80-20 whey-to-casein ratio like in early breast milk, which is tailor-made for a newborn's digestive system. ByHeart is the only U.S.-made infant formula to use organic, grass-fed whole milk, not skim. Curious about ByHeart? Redeem your welcome offer at byheart.com slash podcast with the code parenting for a limited time. Additional terms and conditions apply. Okay, so on to some questions. My first question this week comes from Heather in Maryland. My daughter's preschool sent home homework on the first day of school. It's just a packet for us to fill out about herself and our family, and we can put pictures in it. They set it so that the teachers have something for her to sit and look at if she gets sad or misses us at home. I think this is a nice idea, but I'm concerned that they use the term homework, and now I'm wondering if this is going to be a regular thing. I don't believe in homework in preschool. I'm with you 100% on the homework in preschool. So it's good that you're questioning. I'm hoping that it's just that they use the term lightly, as it is some work that she and you will be completing at home. Project probably would have been better, but I would just ask. Because if homework is a regular part of the curriculum, then that's a big sign that this is most likely an academic-based preschool, which I shared about the negative effects in the episode on finding a preschool. Not academic concepts, but the worksheets, sitting for lessons, lectures, and those types of things that damage small children's ambition for learning. So I'm glad to hear you say that you don't like the idea of homework in preschool, as I'm guessing it's related to the idea of the academic learning in preschool. You just have to decide after you get the answer to your question what you want to do about it. If they don't assign homework and it's just a one-time project and you feel that otherwise you have a good feeling about the early childhood education they provide, then you're great. But if you get an answer that shows that their philosophy is not in line with your understanding of better ways to engage preschool children in their learning, then you have a decision to make. Will you move your child? Will you pull her right away or keep her until you find a school that's a better fit? Will you stick it out? So these are just some things to think about so that you have an idea of what you want to do when you do find the answer. The next question comes from Lisa in Michigan about her daughter. My daughter will beg and plead to go to the park, 
But when we get there, she clings to my side and refuses to go play with any of the kids or on any of the equipment. How can I help her learn to be more social? Well, Lisa, it sounds like your daughter is what we call slow to warm. And this is a temperament type. It takes her time to warm up to other kids and new situations. Now, there are a couple of great things you can do to guide her in this, in this situation. First, try to get to the park early when you are either the first family there or only one or two other kids are there. This way, the number of kids and the amount of activity are not overwhelming for her. Second, gently help her take notice of the other kids and ask if she would like to join them. Something like this. Look at that little girl over there. She looks like she's having fun in the sand. Would you like to join her? Now, chances are high your daughter will say no. So you then can model for her. She may or may not come with you, but she will be watching you. So you can walk over, sit down, and introduce yourself. Ask the other child what she's playing or building, and then join in. Then you can introduce your daughter, even if she's not right there. That's my daughter, Emma, over there on the bench. She's three. How old are you? Continue playing and conversing, and hopefully your daughter will come and join. If not the first time, then most likely by the second or third time you go to the park and do this. And please let me know how it goes. Now also, I do have the class on temperament. So if you're looking for more ways to support your daughter with her slow to warm temperament at school, at home, in other ways, then you can find that in the class on temperament. Now next week, I'll be giving some great information on normal as well as concerns when it comes to toddler development and answering some more great questions that came in this week. If you have a parenting question, please be sure to send it to podcast at yourvillageonline.com. To see what episodes we have coming up, you can go to yourvillageonline.com slash podcast. And if you're enjoying what you're hearing, please give us a review on iTunes. Thanks for listening to this episode and see you next time. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.